On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Anastasia Budden, an author, speaker, and coach who helps early-stage startups accelerate their growth to 100k revenue. We discuss how to deal with constant rejection, how to craft an attractive offer that will make clients want to buy, and how to begin to discover your purpose. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Anastasia, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Anastasia, you're an author, speaker, and coach who helps early stage startups accelerate their growth to hit uh, 100k revenue. Tell me, yes, I do. <laughs> how did you uh, how did you find your calling? Well, that's kind of an interesting, twisted, windy road kind of story. But I found myself graduating from college around when the recession hit, so it's 2010. I did what everybody told me to do: is to get a degree in liberal arts, which means like history, anthropology, and and things like that. So I graduated with a degree in history in 2010, which was an amazing time to have that um, because all of these job offers were just rolling in, which um, I was told that was going to be the case, but it was not. <laughs> I, uh, I graduated with a degree that nobody was using for because they didn't have a budget for it because everybody was, uh, including corporations, were broke. And so I found myself pretty lost. I was going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? I can't find a job. I remember one year, it was back in 2011, I believe, 11, 12, somewhere in there. I uh, applied over 200 jobs and I got no interviews, not one. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> so eventually um, it led down to the road of, you know, is it, am I going to go to graduate school or am I going to go to entrepreneurship? This thing I just, you know, kind of discovered. And um, I literally was accepted to university over in England and I'm going to be a classical archaeologist and go work on ships underwater and find all these classical ships and dig. And I realized that that was kind of a past life. You know, after going through the recession and everything, I had found a different calling and that was to help people in a more intimate way. And so I just said, all right, well, we're going to go with this entrepreneurship thing. So I closed my computer because I was about to buy a ticket to England. I was accepted and all, ready to go. And I said, let's do this entrepreneurship thing. And I had no clue what I was doing. And so I found myself on top of a roof one day, actually. And I said, oh my gosh, I just feel like jumping today. It was a very low moment of mine because it was a moment where I should have actually been celebrating. I was a roofing contractor, which means I was knocking on doors, trying to sell roofs to people that didn't want to talk to me. I was met with doors literally slammed right back into my face. And I was trying to figure out this whole entrepreneurship and sales thing, you know, just getting into the world. And nobody wanted to work with me. And I was like, what am I doing? And I'm standing on this roof. And I just sold this roof. So I knew I was going to be able to pay my rent and eat. So I should have been able to, uh, to celebrate. But instead, I was going, I just want to jump off this roof and to knock on one more damn door. And so I said, I got to change something. So I said, I'm not going to jump. You know what? I'm going to stop chasing the money. I'm going to stop chasing the titles and all these things people tell me I need to be. Because that's what got me into university. That's what got me into the recession. That's what got me onto that roof. And I finally said, I just want to start moving on purpose and purpose alone. What would happen if I just did that? So I got down the roof, drove into the car, drove off into the sunset. I said, goodbye, company, goodbye, customers, everybody. I just like shut off that world. And um, 
I went to go find purpose and I found it and um, through a life coach. And I said, what's this coaching thing? <laughs> and so I dive deeper into this coaching thing, identifying that I really wanted to help entrepreneurs be able to take their passion and their purpose and turn it into profit so that they can create more impact on the world as well in, the, in their own lives, like myself. So pain became purpose. And I said, what's this coaching thing? And that's my purpose. And I want to exercise that. And once I started taking action in that purpose field, that's when the book deal came. And that's when I started speaking. That's when I started getting clients that were like, please help me. I want you to coach me. And I said, okay, I kind of know what that coaching thing's like. Let's, let's start figuring that out. And so I started doing all of that. And um, you know, a few years later, here we are. And uh, it's been an absolutely amazing journey helping entrepreneurs pretty much go from startup to $100,000 a year in 12 months or less. Because as you've heard through that story, I was so tired of just wasting time and I just wanted to have meaning in life. And I know everyone else wants that too. They want to be able to have the exercise to experience, to create impact, and to really have that freedom, entrepreneurship type lifestyle so they can go and experience the world and create their mark on it. And so that's what I help people do. And that's what's brought to me here. That was a really long answer to your question. No, no, so I hope people are still tuning in. <laughs> I actually want to go a little bit deeper. So it sounds like you've, you've dealt with a lot of rejection and then you... Mm. You've made these big pivotal shifts from you know 200 interviews to having no one come back you know after applying 200 times. How did you deal with rejection you know continuously? Not well. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I grew up in a world where if I was praised, I felt like I was doing the right thing. You know, so that's kind of how I, I do. Like, if you look at like that idea of the love languages, mine is definitely words of affirmation. And so when people are saying, oh, you did such a great job. Oh, you did such a great paper. Or, oh, I loved your, your answer to that question. You know, things like that. I felt like I was doing great. So when I was getting feedback, being like, no one wants to talk to you. No one likes your resume. <laughs> no one, you know, all these things. It was a really dark place. But I just knew, I was like, this is not getting me the results. And everyone's telling me to do these things. Like you just got to redo your resume. You just got to go and network. You just got to... And I was doing those things, but it wasn't bringing the results. So it was almost like... And I think this is true in many ways. The universe, your maker or your, your guide, as it were, comes to interrupt your life when your journey is going down the wrong path. So when things aren't really going your way for a while and you're doing what has been proven to work, and it's just not working, it might be a sign saying, you're supposed to be doing something else. And so I started catching on to that. It wasn't right away, of course, but I started catching on to that. So whenever I meet that wall again that says, no, course correct, you're going down the wrong path, I listen. And I listen a heck of a lot faster than I used to, which is, which is a grateful thing. Yeah, I was, um, was going to say, it's, I guess it's, it's like one of those skills that, you know, the more you sort of learn and listen to it, the better you get at noticing it. So you must be quite good now at noticing when you're sort of off the path a bit? Well, I sure hope so. I like to think I'm, I'm better than I was, but I'd like to get better in the future as always. Mm, that continual improvement. Absolutely. What do you think stops millennials from, you know, obviously society sort of places a big, you know, pressure in terms of what to do in life. Mm. How can millennials start to buck that trend if, if they feel like where they are right now is, is not where they would like to be or, or not where they, they think they should be? You know, it really just comes down to going where the joy is. So I, there, I was actually speaking to someone just last month. He had joined one of my programs and it was more of a group coaching side. And we had a one-on-one -on -one moment. And um, in there, we're just kind of identifying where he's wanting to go with his blueprint to his 100K, right? 
so when we're when we're chatting, we're we're going into this, and I'm just going, dude, you got so many glasses that you're trying to fill up with water. You don't have enough water to go around. <laughs> it was like he's trying to do like 20 different things at once. And uh, so finally, I said, why do you feel like you have to do all of this to make a hundred thousand dollars? Like, what is it that you enjoy the most? And it was completely right field what he told me. I mean, this is something I've never heard someone actually saying they wanted to do. He wanted to go and actually count cards and be in casinos and make money through these companies that actually find card counters. And I was going, that's new for me. I've never heard that before. And I was like, well, why are you trying to do digital marketing and this and that and this? And he said, that's what he's been told to do. But it's not what he enjoys doing. It's not where he where the joy comes in. And I think that's very true for everybody is that we keep being told what to do, right? We keep trying to find the path to success. But, you know, most often and not, it really comes down to the joy aspect of things. This is actually make you light up in a room, in a conversation, on topic. If you were to go and speak on stage, would you just be so excited to tell everybody these stories and these facts? Or would you feel like it's pressured and that you're going to be completely judged and no one's going to like you? But when you're up there and you are enjoying what you're saying, you don't care who's thinking what. Yeah, yeah, it sort of comes back down to um, intent as well. If you're doing it for, you know, the right reasons and mm-hmm. you know, why you want to do it as opposed to why, you know, your parents might have told you it was something you wanted to do. Yeah, and that's interesting too, though, is that, you know, we feel like we, again, we have to kind of be molded into this this person and into these interests. But when you're, when you go and you see someone on stage, or maybe if you just have a one-on-one conversation, you probably know it's didn't like, you're having a conversation with somebody and you can just feel the fact that they don't like what they do, <laughs> right? You just know that they're just like, I'm doing this for a paycheck so I can have my two weeks vacation or I'm doing this business because it brings in the most cash, but it's not what I really want to do. And you can literally smell it, especially if someone's on stage. So even though you may be feeling like this is the path to success, the audience even tells that it's not authentic. And so they're not going to buy. And so it's kind of interesting how we feel like we have to mold into something when no one really wants that mold anyway. Yeah, it's really funny, isn't it? We think we need to conform to something and then we find out that, you know, the people we present to or talk to can, can sense that what we do isn't, isn't authentic in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to make sales, which means you struggle, which means you're mad and then you quit and then you go back to your nine to five when really you were meant to do something else. So again, it's kind of like that universe telling you, and this is something I've been saying since the beginning is, you know, let's unleash a little bit more of your authentic self to the world because that's what they're really waiting for. Yeah, yeah, that's actually one of the, the values I try to live by actually is, is authenticity. I guess it's empowering. I find it empowering anyway, when you can just be yourself and not have to, you know, fake it in a sense. And I mean, obviously, you've got, you've got to um, not change it up, but, you know, bring out different parts of your personality, depending on who you're with. You're not going to be the same person at, in, in all aspects, but it, it's definitely quite liberating. Have you found that with the, the say, the people you coach? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, I, most of the millennials per se, and you know, when we say millennials, a lot of people get a, a whole different picture in their own head. Um, when I say millennials, I'm talking about people who generally range between the ages of 29 to 42 years old. And um, this is pretty widespread across the entire world that millennials tend to feel like, again, they were raised in this time where things were shifting, but no one was paying attention, right? Things were shifting in that, you know, college was changing because the workforce was changing and the workforce was changing before college even knew about it. And so you're being trained in a very traditional aspect for a workforce that has completely changed itself. And so it doesn't even recognize the education side that you have, yet still demands it, which is like a weird like relationship. 
So we're being molded into this traditional aspect, but we're going into a whole new world and we're having to learn something completely different from what we've been taught our entire lives. And so again, it's kind of like this, how do I fit in the world when all I want to do is to create positivity? And so that's kind of where I find a lot of my clients and the people I speak to is how can I do what you did, Anastasia, is where you felt lost and you weren't able to find the job and your calling had completely changed. Where do you find the guidance? And really the guidance is just being still, which is very hard for a lot of people to do. Like even just turn off the music, put the phone down, close the computer, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. just be still for a little bit and be with yourself and really answer the hard questions. Why are these activities important for you? Why do you find that to be something that you you call or draw toward? And just kind of keep going over the answers again and again and again. In my book, I got, I think it's chapter two, I have a thing called 20 Questions to Find Your Purpose. So it really just kind of guides you towards the path that's more authentic for you. And it's really just that question over and over again of, but why that? And why you? And why now? And then why that? And why you? And why now? Just keep repeating it over and over again. And you'll really get down to a core feeling that you want to have in your life, which tends to come towards impact, happiness, and fun. And, um, and once you're able to identify the pathway for that, things become more clear. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. It's um, a very valuable exercise to, you know, to take the time to sit down with yourself and write it out on a piece of paper. Do you find um, once you've got that clarity, is it a good feeling? I think it's, it's a good feeling. It's a scary feeling at the same time, right? Because <laughs> it's completely different than what you have been thought to think or thought to operate in some ways. Because a lot of people grow up thinking they're going to have a corporate nine to five, but then all of a sudden it's like, what I want to create, which means being more in that entrepreneurial mindset and, and activities. Some people, they're just like, oh, I was going to have like 2.5 kids with the fence and the dog and the house, but now I'm going to live on a boat for three years. Like it's completely different, right? There's an exciting and happiness factor, but it's also scary because it's uncharted waters. Yeah, I, I recently interviewed a guest on the podcast and um, similar sort of thing, nine to five, and then he ended up writing a bucket list. He, yeah, completely pivoted and did that and, and ran a business based on that. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's really, I think, I think we live in, the, in this day and age where we can be a lot more than what we're, we're told we could be back when mm-hmm. we were a kid. And I think it's up to us as individuals to, to start to understand and recognize that there's a lot more options out there. Mm-hmm. Than Absolutely. The, than, than the typical, you know, lawyer, accountant, banker, engineer, artist professions. You Absolutely. talked about before uh, you mentioned the entrepreneurial mindset. What does that mean? How would you define that? Well, in the entrepreneurial mindset, how I define that as today, not in the traditional sense that most people think of it as like someone who has a business plan, goes to the bank, right? (laughs) It's a little different. Entrepreneurial mindset today, because of how technology has changed in so many different ways, entrepreneurial mindset, I feel, can be in many different aspects. But in the way that I'm saying it, is more of a creation approach. So entrepreneurs, we create something that was not there to begin with or not in the way that you are going to deliver it compared to others. And it speaks to a certain type of audience. And so entrepreneur mindset is really, again, is kind of, it's weird because it's kind of this, this duality where you're charting a path for yourself, creating your own impact and stamp in the world. But at the same time, it's a completely a different place of service to others. And the entrepreneur mindset is open to listening to that service. Unlike past companies in traditional entrepreneurship and business, where they just kind of, you know, broadcast it, right? They just put things on billboards, commercials, things like that. But today you have to completely listen to your market. And that's the cool part about entrepreneurship today is that it's a lot more involved. It's a lot more intimate than it used to be. And entrepreneur mindset is 
you're creating a path of your own, but you're doing it in service of others and you're willing to listen to that. And the entrepreneur mindset doesn't have an ego with that. And that's a problem too, is that we are raised in this world where it's very egotistical. I'm going to go up the corporate ladder. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to do this. This It's all about me, 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 myself, and I, right? But when you go into the entrepreneurial side, it's all about what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? And so ego has to be removed. And that's very hard for people to make that transition is it ain't about you. It's about who you serve. Oh, I, I agree with that 100%. It's definitely about the customer and your clients and their needs and how you can best service their need at the end of the day, they're the ones, you know, paying the bills. And I mean, that that's, you know, the reason a lot of entrepreneurs get into business is to, you know, like you said, make it, make an impact. Absolutely. And you, you know, it's kind of funny though, that goes both sides of the coin though. <laughs> it's like the ego part is that, you know, the ego can definitely say, give me money, give me money. I'm charting my own path. But then it also goes to the other side where it's part of the fear, the ego of fear, right? It's that, no, my ego is going to be damaged if I reach out for that phone call. No, my ego is going to be damaged if I go out and I speak and I embarrass myself or I stumble or fall. And so it's interesting how this nine to five ego that we've been trained to really have since we were little is coming into entrepreneurship is to bring service to others. But it's also a challenge against that ego that we've been built up of fear is going to come in. Are you going to listen to the ego side that says, no, we can't be embarrassed or ashamed or, you know, because then again, it's all about you, right? You're not serving your clients because you're afraid of looking a certain way. Yeah. And I guess if you understand why you're doing it and who you're doing it for, then that can make it a, a bit easier to, to get up on stage or, or to put yourself out there because you're not just trying to protect yourself. You're trying to serve others. Yeah, I think so. And, and definitely um, 100% with that. Um, I would kind of add a little cherry on top of that. Um, you know, when I was doing roofing, right, standing on that roof, knocking on those doors, your ego gets beat down pretty fast <laughs> when you have doors literally being thrown in your face, people throwing newspapers at you, shoes at you, right? All of that stuff. But people, you know, when they, many folks, when they go into entrepreneurship, they don't even want to knock on that first door. So it takes a lot of, as I call it, and it's not the, probably the best way to say it, but I say it as it is, is really just get over yourself. Because this isn't about you feeling ashamed and knocking on that door. This is about them and making sure they have a roof over their head, even if they don't understand it themselves. So it's kind of like this idea of relying on courage versus on giving in to the fear. Well, you need that fear in order to have courage, in a sense. Absolutely. Courageous. So the fear never really goes away either. But that's what I found. I think it just morphs. But it's, you know, you learn to, to push through it. Just Yeah, literally, you got to go through the fear. <laughs> mm. You can't go around it. I've tried. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't go over it, can't go under it, can't <laughs> run away from it. Well, you can run away from it, but you don't mm. want to. So you, like, you literally got to go. Yeah, you got to go through it in order to figure out, okay, what am I going to look like? And how can I serve others on the other side of that fear? That's great. Going back to your, your coaching, and, and you mentioned before how you, you help businesses sort of get to that 100 grand milestone. What are some common obstacles you see business owners face in order to get to that 100K? Well, other than the fact that they can't seem to find their ideal clients, it really comes down to what they're offering their ideal clients. So in that sales conversations, you know, in the sales conversations, people are like, how do I, how do I ask for the sale? And that's actually very easy. It's literally Visa or MasterCard. Like, <laughs> that's the easy part, right? Um, being able to say it, that's the hard part. But in between finding those clients and asking for the sale is something that I feel isn't focused on enough. And what this is, is it's really just the offer, right? So a lot of my clients come to me and they hand me this huge PDF or their website or something. And they go, this is what I offer people. And I'm going, it's a mess. <laughs> and here's why. 
you send this to a client, you have them go to your website, whatever it looks like, and you're trying to walk them through understanding what it is they're going to get, why do they want it, and why this is a solution to the problem, right? So this is also part of the clarity aspect. You as an entrepreneur who is selling this product, you've got to kind of understand how to deliver it in a sales conversation that makes sense. So they understand, yeah, I need this. Yeah, this is going to provide this solution. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in. I'm leaning in. Let's talk about price. Let me hand you that credit card, right? So right now, like for example, my sales conversion is at 78% um, since the beginning of January. So we're pretty fresh into this quarter. But before then, it's been around the same percentage. It hasn't really changed that much. And I teach the same process to my clients. It's like, look, you can go and get as many clients as you want. I've been there. I've had 200 conversations and I didn't sell anyone. Okay? <laughs> I've had those conversations before. You can go and get as much lead generation as you want. But if you don't have an offer that people actually want in the language that makes sense for them, they're not going to see the need. Therefore, if you ask for the Visa and the MasterCard, they're going to say no. So we want it to be something where people are going to be like, yes, this is what I have to have. Visa or MasterCard, please, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of want to have one of the, what as I call is like simple, no sweat kind of sales conversations where you can relax. You just literally walk them through the offering. You say, you know, Visa or MasterCard. Um, because the problem is, is a lot of people go into sales conversations and yes, you need to identify needs. You need to identify wants. And there's so many books out there on that, but they don't, there's no books really out there to talk about how to create an offer that is sellable, right? So creating an offer that is sellable is, is key of that sales conversation. But it is like the number one thing that people forget the most because they're so worried about getting the cash. Yeah, it comes back down to who, you, who you're doing it for, in a sense. Exactly. If you're doing it for yourself, yeah. you're just going to be worried about the money. But if you're doing it for the others, the others, the clients, the other people, you can um, you know, begin to anticipate their needs and wants and, and design your marketing and message and sales message around it. Absolutely. So it's really coming down to, yeah, you can go get the leads. That's actually pretty simple to do. If you don't know how to do that, I can help you. But when it comes to the offers, not a lot of people out there that train you on how to create an offer that sells. And that's what that was kind of the missing link I found in my clients that they were really needing. Offers are quite quite important. They're the aspect in which to convince someone that they need to part with their cash in a sense. Are there any main considerations that people should have in their offer? Yeah, you know, there's the mechanics, as I call it. So you have the mechanics like what you're getting. Okay, are you, you're getting two phone calls a month, or you're getting this ClickFunnels page, or you're getting these health and wellness products sent to you, whatever it is that you're selling. That's mechanics, as I call it. Mechanics is what's included in the package that they're actually receiving and how this is all structured, right? But that's just a very small piece of the offer. The other part of the offer is why does this work? What are the results they're actually going to get out of this, right? That's a lot of the marketing copy that actually goes into the offer. People think that's separate. It's not because your, your, your results, your products, and your marketing copy are all part of the same bit. So your offer has to have, why is this so important for you? And who is this for? Is this actually for you? And it also sets the tone. This is for you because the next part is, this is not for you if. So for example, in my offers, when I have the, a section for this is not for you, this is not for you if you do not listen to sound advice. This is not for you if you're not willing to let go of limiting self-beliefs, you know, stuff like that. I want to work with people who are change makers, right? So it sets the tone of the expectations of the relationship if you're kind of in a service-based business. Even in the product base, if we're going to be sending this stuff to you, you are someone who's patient. You are someone who doesn't freak out over, you know, uh, weather delays, you know, stuff like that. So sometimes people completely forget about those things because it's actually part of the offer that makes it more sellable. People know it's for them. People see what they're going to get out of it. People know the set of the tone of the relationship, even as a customer or a client. And people see the mechanics and why it's relevant. So all of that put together into the offer is really what's going to make it sellable. 
Yeah, I love how you said that all, all the parts sort of interlink with each other. And it comes down then, if you don't know who you're serving, then it's quite hard to put that together because, you know, if you're, if you're trying to serve everybody, then you can't say, this is not for you if. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing I get with my clients a lot. They're like, I can work with everybody. I'm like, no, not everybody wants to work with you, <laughs> right? And so it's like, and also it doesn't, when you say uh, I can work with anybody or whatever, um, again, like what you mentioned, it's hard to pin down your marketing, but at the same time, it's hard to become what I call referable. So when you say that I work with anyone or everyone, anyone who has a bank account, anyone who has a car, whatever, I or you, whoever is being spoken to, is going to be so confused in their mind. They're like, I can't literally think of everyone I know. That's how our brains work. Like if you say everybody, our brains are trying to think of everyone. And so they're thinking of no one. And so if you get down to a scenario or a story, like I work with people who are generally in the nine to five. They're making over $80,000, $200,000 a year even. They're married. They're thinking about kids or maybe they have a kid. And they have a side hustle. They just love. Uh, They love their job, but they love their side, side hustle even more. They're looking to switch the full-time job to the full-time side hustle. But the problem is they're making so much money in the job, they can't switch over to the side hustle full-time until they make that $100,000. I help them make the jump. When you say that, you think of like one or two people immediately. You're like, I know somebody who's been working their business for three years and they just have not made the jump. They might be a good candidate for you. right? So when you have this scenario, again, it's, it's kind of like telling that story. Does this resonate with you? Right? Can you think of how this can impact your life or someone else's life? Referable, sellable, it's all the same thing. Thank you for sharing some some really valuable um, advice for others looking to, you know, if, if they're not sure who they're targeting or, or need a bit of a hand to put together an attractive offer. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Anastasia, you um, tell me about the coaching alliance you have got going on. Yeah, so right now I'm uh, taking down names and having conversations with people who are looking to also be in the coaching realm. They're probably already doing coaching right now in their company or in their job that they have right now. And they're wanting to do more impact in coaching, but they don't want to necessarily go and get the leads yet or get the leads right now. So what I'm doing is I'm bringing in like a coaching alliance where people will be having conversations with me. And if it works well, they'll get certified under my brand and they'll actually be working with my clients. So literally I'm feeding leads to you and you're getting paid for it. Um, You're going to know how to coach effectively. You're going to know how to coach yourself. You're going to know how to lead people. And you're also going to learn sales. You're going to learn how to get that lead generation so that when you are ready to sprout your wings, you're ready to go. So I'm looking for people who want to have that. And if they do, I would love it if they could reach out to me. I am the only Anastasia button on the internet. (laughs) And so you can literally Google me, Facebook, search me, anything. Anastasia button, I'm right there. I prefer Facebook. And Instagram, if you reach me out on social media. Brilliant. Yeah, people get in touch if um, if that's something you've you've ever considered or, or would like to do. Yes, thank you. Um, final question: What's your definition of the grind? The grind to me is commitment. Grind. You know, people put out those words like hustle. Right? That's a big one right now. And um, and you know, it has aspects that are true to it. But people keep thinking hustle, or sometimes even maybe grind where it's like you have to be going, go, 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 go all the time, 24-7, full force, you know. And that's not authentic for really almost anyone, everyone, in my opinion. Hustle means and grind means commitment. Sticking true to what you have decided to do in this world. Solve problems for your life and for others. And when you decide to work, whether that's two hours a day or 20 hours a day, it doesn't matter. 
When you decide that's your time to work, that is where grind and hustle comes in. You are going all in, passion, heart, and soul to solve that problem. Solve the problem for the world, for these people, whoever you serve, maybe even if it's for yourself. Because if the commitment's not there, results are not going to happen. Correct, because you'll, you'll get to a point in time where you're like, this is too difficult and give up in a sense. Um, yeah, there's that side. You're going to have burnout for sure. <laughs> so, But yeah, that's kind of where I say commitment is key, but also knowing, being aware of your limitations so that you don't have that burnout effect for sure. Wonderful. Anastasia, thanks so much for, uh, for sharing your wisdom on the, um, on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Aiden. This was fun. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.